enthusiasm. Good. So I had a really great uh, moment yesterday uh, where someone said to me, oh, I was really hoping to invite my friend to your good-looking course. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that was an absolute joy, because although it's not called good-looking, I might change the name just, just for that. No, uh, but Just Looking is coming up really soon. Uh, we're going to do... <laughs> We're going to do a course called Just Looking, and it's going to happen in the daytime. I just wanted to spend a minute uh, just telling you about that. So if you know people who are, aren't available in the evening but are around in the day, Just Looking um, is daytime. It's designed for them because we essentially are going to do the same course material that we do in the evening, but we will do it in the daytime. Um, so if you know someone who's just asking the right questions, who's kind of joining up the dots, who's, when you've gone up uh, to them and you've talked about church or you've thrown up a tennis ball, in the terms of just putting something out there and they've responded, then they're the person for just looking. So I just ask that this week you would ask them, uh, or you'd ask God, who, who do you want me to invite to this and step out in faith to that? So that's going to be 10 a.m. to 12 noon, uh, starting on Tuesday, the 6th of June. So there you go. Quick notice for the good look. I mean, just looking, of course. <laughs> so here we go. We're going to get into the word today. Um, and it goes, oh, I'm going to just start it off like this for you. Do, adieu. A female dear, ray, a golden drop of sun. Me, a name I call myself, far, a long, long way to run. So, a needle pulling thread, la, a nod to follow. So, tea, a drink with jam and bread, that will bring us back to dough. There you go. Um, so, <laughs> if you remember nothing else from today, I want you to remember the one word from that. Uh, song from The Sound of Music from 1959, which is the word so. And if discipleship could be divided up into things of a rhythmic nature so that one day you might be able to sing the entire song, I believe that the word so would be the missional aspect. And last week, Dale looked at the parable of the sower, and it was a lot of fun. He was up here talking about the seed, the powerful gospel and the soil, the recipients of that seed. And this week, I'm kind of going into part two. So if you haven't listened to part one, it's on the podcast. You can listen again. And uh, we are going to go on to part two, which really does focus on the sower. And I read through the passage a number of times, and I came to three points that I kind of landed on. Uh, and they start fairly general, and they get a bit more specific. And for point one, which is God is generous, not wasteful, we're going to think of the sower as God. And then for point two, which says, sowers, we must, not sow, we must sow out of obedience rooted in faith. We're going to talk about us being the sowers of seed. And then lastly, it's more of a practical point, but it's don't let the enemy distract you from sowing. So let me pray just briefly, and then we'll get right into that. Father God, we come before you again, and we just thank you and praise you for those wonderful things you've done for us, but just who you are, just the amazing, great, generous God that you are. And I just thank you so much for all you've done as well in our lives, for how you've sown the seed of the gospel in us, and we've responded to it and are now reaping the benefits of that. We just praise you and pray that you would speak to us this morning in your name. Amen. So the parable of the sower is in Matthew chapter 13 in the New Testament, and you can follow along in your Bible. Um, if you haven't got one of those or you're visiting us, then uh, look at someone nearby or look at the screen because um, it will come up behind me. And in Matthew 13, 1 to 9, this is the parable of the sower. And then 20, 18 to 23 is the explanation of that parable. So I'll read both of those to you just now. It says, That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. 
such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Then the explanation is in 18 to 23. It says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the world, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So there we are, the word of the Lord. Oh, and the poster is falling off the wall over there, but we won't worry about that. Um, so point one, God is generous, not wasteful. Um, we're going to start pretty broad. And our God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, if you're here with us for the first time, is a generous God. He has characteristics that we're aware of that you can read about in the Bible. He is loving, he's kind, he's fearsome, he's tender, he's mighty, he's all-powerful, he has a plan for you, he knows you. But for a minute, I just want to focus on how generous he is towards humans, his creation, and then lastly, why. So within this point, we're going to talk about those things. And uh, at this point in my life, it's kind of baby time. Like my relatives are having children, I've got a nephew on the way, I've got a niece, uh, got a few goddaughters scattered about, and um, people are having babies, it's great. And at Baby Cafe, new babies come in all the time, and it just kind of struck me when uh, realizing this, actually God makes all these babies, and that he is the God who is generous with life. And life is the first thing that I would tell someone who wanted me to prove to them that God was generous. And it's one of four things that I'm going to tell you about today. Our God is the God of life. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Moving forward to the New Testament, in John's Gospel, talking about Jesus, he says, All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being and has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then another example in Acts. Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands, and he is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So imagine you've got to explain to someone that God is generous. And imagine that you're trying to describe to them uh, how generous our God is. Well, the first thing I think I would tell them, and I encourage you to say to them, is that he is a God of life. He brings life to us. He breathed into us at the start, and so on and so forth, as we heard. He doesn't need anything. He just brings life to everyone and everything. 
So that's the first thing. The second thing I'd say to someone who wanted me to show them that God was generous was that he gives us relationship. And uh, our God is so good. He's given us relationships. He's given us not only that, but the capacity, the language, the vision, the emotions, to, and a brain to combine all those things and experience relationship one-to-one, in a group, in a community. And the absence of this relationship that he's created or relationships uh, causes us pain and causes people to suffer. So when community dissolves around someone, they become lonely. And loneliness is a really big deal in our society today. Um, the campaign to end loneliness was the webpage that I found on this, and it had a couple of interesting statistics. It said that two-fifths of older people, about 3.9 million, say the television is their main company. Then it said that 59% of adults aged over 52 who report poor health say they feel lonely some of the time or often compared to 21% who say they are in excellent health. So it's kind of evidence that suggests that without relationships, we suffer, and without relationships, our health um, deteriorates quickly. And it's a growing problem. And it was interesting being in Paydens this week because we prepared to do an outreach, so we were talking to them about where we could put the puppets, which did very well. Thank you, Janet. And these ladies in Paydens uh, were all talking about the community and the the sadness they felt about shops disappearing and things like that. And uh, it was evident that they really valued community and face-to-face contact. And I just threw into the conversation, I don't think anything replaces a face-to-face conversation. And it's one of those classic moments where they all went, hmm, yes, hmm. It was a bit like being in church, you know, like when people sort of go, hmm, yes. And it was kind of a moment where there was mutual agreement between human beings, Christian and non-Christian, who just agreed that face-to-face relationship was valued and very, very important. And the fact of the matter is that people are not meant to be lonely. God even said at the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. So what happened? Why does loneliness exist? There might be, they might be some of the questions that the person you're talking to in that moment asks you. If God's so generous, why does loneliness exist then? Well, you might explain that the root of loneliness is the same as the root of many issues in our world today, and it is called sin. And you'd explain that things we think, do, and say wrong separate us from one another. And if you, who's ever fallen out with a friend here today? When you fall out with a friend, you feel separated from them. They might sin against you or you might sin against them. But when that happens, a barrier, a wedge is driven between you and the other person. And there's a time of unspoken words. There's a time of anxiety. There's some tension. And if you let it go on and on, there's more and more tension And this wedge, this gap becomes bigger and bigger. And you might explain that actually sin works the same way between us and God because humans and God are very different. He is perfect, we are imperfect, and our sins, the things we think, do, and say wrong, separate us from him. And it leaves us feeling and experiencing discontent and to a certain extent, spiritual loneliness. And men and women across the world spend years and years trying, searching for anything and everything to fill this void left by the sins, but nothing works. And then you might turn to your friend and say, but thankfully, our God is generous. And the third thing you would say to them to show that God is generous is that he sent Jesus. You say, our God is so generous that he's provided a way for men and women of the earth to have life and relationship and never be lonely again. 
And you might use one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, uh, which is John 3, 16 to 17, to kind of ram this home. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God gave us Jesus, and Jesus, being both God and man, never sinned. He showed us that he wants relationship with us so much that he's willing to bridge the gap with himself. He showed us that Jesus was sent and chose to come to earth to bear the sin, bear the punishment for us, which is death. But then you might say, but hang on a minute, you, there, is, there is an issue here. They might say to you, hang on, what about this, what about that? And you might say, whoa, just wait, I'll get to the end of the gospel and then we can talk this through. But the reality is there's redemption available to you through faith in Jesus Christ. And by faith, you have to accept that you have sinned and that you recognize Jesus as God and you will throw yourself upon him because you believe he is perfect and you are not. And you place your life in his hands. And that's exactly what I'd say to you if you're not a Christian here this morning. I'd say, look how generous God has been to you He has given you life. He's given you relationships. He's given you Jesus. Do you want to come and know him? And if that didn't convince you this morning, I'd say, all right, I'll give you a fourth thing that I think God has generously given us. And that fourth thing is time. The air we breathe, the way God sustains us, the way he allows us to wake up and enjoy the summer when it comes, is a gift. It's something he gives us. He gives us time to hear the gospel, to think it through, and to figure it out. And I was really encouraged just a few weeks ago by Graham's story about his sister. He talked about how he'd been praying for her for a long, long time, and then finally she'd responded to the gospel. And it gave me absolute hope and joy because I'm still praying for my brother to become a Christian. And I think the thing that God is giving us generously is time to work all this out and time for these things to come about. So God has given us life, relationship, Jesus, and time to respond to him. Then your friend might ask, well, why? Why does he do this then? Simply because he loves you. He loves you and your entire family, and he loves you so much that he's willing to let you hear all of this and still reject him. He's actually willing to love you enough to let you go. And if our God is perceived as the greater so uh, he isn't wasteful when it comes to throwing the seed about. He has an abundance of seed to scatter. He scatters that powerful seed of the gospel because he knows it can grow anywhere. And you can say to your friend, it doesn't matter how far you are from God. It doesn't matter how much you have sinned because this seed is powerful. And if you believe it, well, just see what will happen. He is generous with himself. God is the greater sower He is generous and not wasteful. And that's point number one. But returning to the parable, I want to have a look at the farmer and his attitude to sowing when it comes to us. So if point one, we looked at God as the great sower, we are kind of the lesser sowers, if you like. And uh, point two is this. Sowers, we must sow out of obedience rooted in faith. The first line of the parable in Matthew 13 Verse 3 says this, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And reading this through may seem obvious to you, but the farmer knows who he is. 
He is called to be a farmer. He's called to scatter the seed, to work long hours, to get dirty hands, to need a really good shower at the end of the day. He knows it, and he heads out purposefully to scatter the seed. Then at verse 4 it says, as he was scattering the seed. The farmer doesn't place the seeds out one by one, though he might do that with some in the potting shed, we don't know. But on this occasion, in the parable, he's scattering. He has an abundance of seed, it would appear, and he's generous. He flings it all over the place. And some's on, some lands on the path, some lands on the rocky ground, some among thorns and on the good soil. And I was kind of thinking this through, and I was sitting there, I was thinking, but why, well, why does he do that? Why doesn't he get a dustpan and brush out and sweep up the stuff on the path and then throw it on the good soil as well? That was one of the things that kind of came to mind. It probably seems silly. Uh, it's probably just in my own mind. But I thought, why doesn't he make that effort to salvage other stuff and, and some, of the, some of the seed from the rocky ground and some of the seed from the thorns? Why doesn't he make the time for that? And I don't like waste. So that's probably just another thing. I really like recycling. So that might be one of the things. But the point I'm trying to make there is that actually... I was thinking, why, why would he do this? Why? Then I read something uh, while kind of looking, reading around this passage and, and researching it. And I read that the sower's approach is not marked by wastefulness. It is instead marked by faith. And the sower has faith that the seed he's sowing out there, because of its power, could grow in some of the unlikeliest of places. And as I read on and I thought this through, I thought, yeah, maybe. Maybe, there, maybe between the rocky ground and the path, there's some good soil there that I don't know about. And, and maybe it could just grow anywhere. Perhaps, perhaps I need to have more faith. But my belief is that now we are meant to go and sow the seed of the gospel, just like the farmer in the story. And we, the sowers, well, we know all that stuff I told you in point one about God, who is loving and powerful and generous and when we're obedient in scattering the seed, we trust that he knows where it's going to land. So our scattering should not be perceived as a dead work. Oh, we do this because we have to, or because we feel we have to. No, no, our scattering should be in faith. We should do it in faith. And it, it may help just considering what this kind of means in our context. So I'll just give you a couple of examples. So you're in the office to, tomorrow morning. Um, or in your workplace, and someone says, what did you do on the weekend? And you can say, well, I went to church, and uh, I heard a sermon about the parable of the sower. Do you, have you heard that before? And they might say, well, no. No, I haven't ever heard about it. What's it about? Well, you could say, well, it's a small story with a big truth, and it goes like this. And you've just scattered some seed. You've just scattered seed in your workplace, and someone might talk to someone else about it, or someone might come in and start listening. Uh, it would classically happen in my old workplace in uh, Hyder Consulting, you'd be talking about something uh, and someone would kind of come in and go to the fridge and they would pretend not to be listening to what you're talking about, but you know, you know they are listening. It, and I'm sure it happens at school as well. You're talking and then someone's like earwigging a bit. It, it happens. You're scattering seed. If you're gossiping this, if you're talking about it, people uh, will receive it in that way. They'll just feel it. It'll land on them as a seed landing on a piece of ground. Or if you're at school and you're in the lunch queue, you can scatter some seed by just asking questions of people. So you can ask people what they think. You don't have to preach to them. You can actually just say, hey, what do you think about the Bible? Have you read it? What do you think happens to us when we die? Have you got any ideas? And 
I guarantee if you ask that t- enough times of enough people, some of those people will feed back to you and say, well, I don't know, what do you think? And you've got your opportunity to scatter some more seed. And if you're anything like me, God asks you to scatter seed in unlikely places. And as you know, the unlikely place that I scatter seed is in the sauna. So sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen when you put something out there. And we've had plenty of testimonies in the past and some great ones from POTS yesterday of just evidence that we as a church are scattering seed. And a number of people said uh, they'd had encounters with people who said, yeah, I know someone who goes to your church. Yeah, I know someone else who goes to your church. Or, yeah, I've been to Baby Cafe and I really enjoyed it. And uh, I, I saw someone yesterday when I was out doing prayer on the streets. I turned to this lady and I said, I recognize you. Have you been to Baby Cafe? I mean, all right, she had a pram. So, it, you know, could have. But I genuinely thought I recognized. And she said, yeah, I came to Baby Cafe. And I showed her the card. And I said, this one. And she said, yeah, that one. I came about 15 months ago. Well, like right when it started. But somehow I just managed to. And it was just that connection of, okay, well, actually, as a church, we need to get this big picture that we're joining up the dots of all the seeds that you have scattered over the last 18 months, two years, 10 years, however many years it might have been in this area, and it is taking effect. So I just want you to be encouraged by that. Because somehow, when we act in obedience, God's power flows. And when our obedience is built on faith, I think it flows even more powerfully. And if you and I believe that God can use our little seeds to save someone, when we step out in obedience, miraculous things will happen and people will get saved. Now, sometimes it's helpful to kind of check this out from an Old Testament perspective. And I just want to give you a short uh, illustration, as it were, of God's power being unleashed through obedience by using Moses. And uh, you might need a bit of context for Moses if you've never read Exodus before. So let me just introduce you to him. Moses is a man, he's a Hebrew who grew up in Egypt. He left Egypt after he murdered someone, was in exile, and then he came back uh, after 40 years in the the wilderness to, not in the wilderness, after 40 years, he came to the burning bush and God spoke to him directly and said, I want you to go back to Egypt and liberate my people, saying, let my people go. But before Moses even takes a step towards Egypt, this happens. So I'll read it to you from Exodus 4, 1 to 5. It says, Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. Then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it. And it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Have you ever felt like Moses in this passage when he says, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? I know I have. But how does God respond to him? He gives him an instruction. Throw down your staff. And the staff turns into a snake. And snakes are dangerous. He's a shepherd. Moses knows this. He's thinking, do you know what? I'm not going anywhere near that snake. I'm running in the other direction. He knows an easy to take on snake when he sees one. He also knows a dangerous snake when he sees one. And he flees the other way. And what do you do with a snake when you want to catch it? If I've learned anything from watching Bear Grylls, I know that you put your hand on its head. You don't grab it by the tail. Moses has obviously watched Bear Grylls as well. He knows (laughs) that you don't grab a snake by the tail. Because it's just going to turn around and bite you. But God says do it. He does it. And a miracle happens. It turns back into a staff. Somehow, 
By being obedient in the moment, power is unleashed. Something happens when faith is exhibited in that way. And the best thing about scattering a seed for us in obedience is that you never need to go to a training school. You don't need a degree. You don't need anything in order to be able to scatter seed like this. We just need to sow seeds by witnessing, by throwing up those tennis balls, if you like that metaphor still, because we have faith in God who gave us the seed in the first place. And from that place of faith, we can act in obedience, knowing that he'll use it one way or another. And that's point two. Sowers, we must sow out of obedience rooted in faith. So we must sow generously, like our Father, and it brings us to our last, my final point, and that is point three, that we mustn't let the enemy distract you from sowing. And we've got a dodge distraction here. We know that once we've got that real gospel, the full gospel, the gospel that says you need to leave everything you know is wrong and turn towards Jesus and go towards him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Once we've got that gospel in our hands, we need to go to it with people, and the enemy doesn't like that. There is an enemy out there. If you're new to us, then you need to know that actually he is against us, but God is for us, and nothing can stop God. So here's three ways that the enemy will try and distract us, and these are the three ways that we must dodge that distraction. We must focus on people's needs, not just our own. And it's hard to stay focused when there's so much going on in your life. You've got this, that, the other to hold on to. It's like juggling all these things at once. But actually, Jesus always pointed his disciples back to serving the need when it presented itself. For example, Matthew 14, when he feeds the 5,000, all the disciples are like, Jesus, just send the crowds away. Like, we're knackered. We're so tired. We're, we're peopled out. We're hungry. You know, Thomas is getting a bit hangry. Like, we need to do something about this. Send the crowds away. We just, we just don't want to do anything more with them today. Please, please. But Jesus seizes the opportunity, and he doesn't send them away. He does an incredible miracle. He takes a dairy lunchable. He just takes a few loaves and a few fish, and he feeds the 5,000. And then at the end, to remind the disciples that he's gone above and beyond what they expected, he leaves them with the leftovers, a number of baskets, 12 in one case, 7 in another. He goes beyond what they expect. And if you look at how the needs have presented itself uh, to us as a church in the last few months, We've got these six going on, and just hearing Eddie talking about those three ways that he just saw a need, and he, he's gone to it, straight to it. He hasn't been distracted. He's gone and done what Jesus has asked him to do, so be encouraged. That was fantastic. And all these things we were going through in terms of school readers, winter night shelter, baby cafe, crisscross, these are all ways that actually we are doing this as a church. And I just want to encourage you, we mustn't get distracted on focusing on ourselves, which I don't believe we are at the moment, but we must keep serving these needs as they arise and we're doing it, so be encouraged by that. The next thing the devil wants to do is, dis- is to make you disqualify yourself. Uh, and Moses fell straight into this camp uh, later on in the same passage. Um, God bless him, Moses. I'll meet you one day. Um, further on in the passage, uh, we, read, we read from earlier, Moses is still reluctant to go back to Egypt. And I'll read you Exodus 4, 10 to 13 as an example. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, 
and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. How many times have you said in your head, please send someone else? Well, that's exactly what the enemy wants you to say. He doesn't want you to step out and speak in faith, to take a chance and invite someone to just looking a daytime course. But just to encourage you recently, I witnessed someone witnessing from our church, and I was massively encouraged by it. Uh, I was at Baby Cafe um, playing with young Evelyn, who's Deb's granddaughter, who is lovely, and she, she really likes me, so that makes me feel great. Uh, and she, she was a delight, and I just overheard someone saying, oh, and if you're interested, Quincy here, who's playing with a baby, when he probably should be working, is, uh, is running a course soon, a five-week course. It's going to happen in the daytime. You could come along. And they said, oh, I might be able to come. I might be a bit late. Would that be all right? And they said, yeah, it'll be fine. Seed sown person not distracted. They spoke in faith and the seed was sown. That was it. But Moses, bless him, refuses to do that. Despite being guaranteed of a miracle, he's still reluctant, still says someone else. And we mustn't let the enemy distract us like that. The last, third, the third thing, uh, third and final thing is that the devil also wants you to think that you are strong enough to save. And uh, I've definitely fallen for this before. I've definitely been in that camp where I've tried so hard, like bust a gut to get someone onto Alpha, and then once they're on Alpha, I bust a gut to tell them the gospel, and then when they didn't believe me, I told them again. And I thought it was me that did the saving, and uh, the reality is it's not. <laughs> it's the, the truth. It doesn't work that way. It's God that does the saving, and I can't believe it took me so long to kind of figure it out. But this Alpha course was the most relaxed I'd ever been on an Alpha course, because I knew God does the saving. I knew he was the one that actually brought people into the fold. And it's because Jesus is the true Savior. He's the only one that draws people to himself by the Holy Spirit. We just get the pleasure of partnering with him in it. And that's something I have to remind myself of. It's talking to him. It's prayer that draws people in to be saved. The enemy would try and deceive us of that, uh, and we must avoid it. So that's point three, summarized in three subpoints rather quickly. Don't let the enemy distract you from sowing. So we've gone point one. God is generous, not wasteful. Point two, sowers, we must sow out of obedience, rooted in faith. And then point three, don't let the enemy distract you from sowing. And if you want to take this in your day-to-day life, um, then I just want to give you three application points. Uh, thankful hearts are great, uh, are great because they give out. They tell people about what they're thankful for. And if you want to do this, if you've got a phone, or even just a paper calendar, I want you to write one thing that you're thankful for every day in your phone so that every day it pops up and gives you something to be thankful for. And if you put a reminder that repeats itself once a month, you'll have a month full of reminders of things to be thankful for, and that will make you thankful. And you might well find yourself just opening up more to people about things that you are grateful to God for in that month. The second thing is to make a plan to scatter seeds of the gospel this month in your context and then ask someone to check in with you at the end of June and say, hey, how, ask you, how did you get on scattering seeds? Can you think of times where you just uh, dropped in that you went to church or dropped into the fact uh, that uh, there's a Just Looking course going on? And, and ask, get someone to ask you. And I guarantee if they uh, put it in their phone and remind you uh, later on in that month, you'll go, oh, uh, and then you'll be able to think of things that you have done. It's something that will hopefully motivate you to do that more. And lastly, Identify how you're most likely to be distracted from sowing the seeds and make a plan to foil the enemy. But in conclusion, um, our Father's generous 
And his generosity is evidenced by his son, Jesus, coming and dying for us on the cross. And if you have heard that for the first time today and you want to come and talk to me about it, uh, I would love you to do that at the end in a moment. But if you're a Christian here, it's time for you to sow in faith. The sower's approach to scattering is marked by faith. Is your life marked by steps of obedience in faith? And lastly, don't lose your focus and get distracted from the key role that we have as disciples to go on and sow more seeds. The devil is a cunning enemy and he'll do anything he can to distract you from proclaiming the real message of the gospel or from prayer or from witnessing. Jesus was the model for sowing. He sowed the seed of the gospel everywhere he went. And Jesus wants us to be good sowers like him, that we should follow in his footsteps. Some might even say that we should sew like him, like a needle pulling thread. We're going to respond now. and I know we're coming to the end of our time together, and we're going to have tea and coffee afterwards. I'm just going to ask the band to come back. But um, you guys have been sitting down for a little while, so why don't you stand up uh, and just maybe just shake your limbs. That might help. Um, but in response to be, the, to be sewers... Sorry, in response to the call to be sowers, I found myself uttering a word in prayer while at Life Group, and this was just last Tuesday, and I hadn't said this word for a long time, and uh, you don't have to worry because it's not like a bad word, uh, but the word that I, I uttered, and I didn't even think about it, it just came out of my mouth, was revival. And I've not experienced revival in my lifetime, I've only read about them in books, and in the books that I've read about, revival... Uh, looks a bit like uh, there's an earthquake going on because people come out of their houses and the weight of the glory of God is upon them and they cry out to him for mercy in some cases. And that's really what I want to see in our nation in my lifetime. Do you want to see it in your lifetime? Good. And uh, I just want to encourage you to come and join us uh, on Tuesday when we do that and follow that initiative, Thy Kingdom Come, um, because it's going to be massive. It's a massive cry to God to do uh, the, do the impossible from our perspective. And we know he loves to do that. And you'll have those six people in mind by then. And if you don't by then, then you will by the time you leave that meeting. So the three things we're going to pray for. Actually, I'm just going to pray for them. Then we're going to sing one last song. It is, we're going to pray for faith. We're going to pray for the Holy Spirit. And we're going to pray for revival. And uh, on the last one, when we pray for revival, I'm going to say, God, please bring, and then I want you all to say revival all at once. We'll make that our crescendo and our amen, and then we'll go into the song, if that's all right. Jim, great. Father God, we need faith. <laughs> we need faith if we're going to sow the seeds of the gospel in our context, in Tandridge and the wider areas. Lord, we need faith from you, so please deposit that in us again. Give people the gift of faith in our church, I pray this morning. Father God, we need your Holy Spirit. We need the power the engine room, the courage, the steam to go and sow, to get up at the crack of dawn for another day and ask you what you're saying and what you want us to do about it. God, we need your Holy Spirit to inspire us to ask the question, what next for Dave? I've been talking to him for years, Lord, but I want to know what you want me to do next to bring him closer to you. We need your Holy Spirit to inspire that question. And Lord, we need you to bring revival. 
for this God, this mighty, generous God, to come and set a nation alight with his Holy Spirit. That people would fall down on their knees and cry for mercy under conviction of sin and then receive freedom by his power. And on three, Lord, will you please bring revival? Amen.